0: at the outset, I'm just going to warn you, I'm probably not going to teach you anything new today, okay? No new things are on the docket. Um, but I am hoping that we slow down on some old things, and as we slow down some old things, we'll be drawn closer to our Savior. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, if you would, please open with your in your Bibles, and I do hope you have one. If you don't, you have maybe a smart device that has the Bible on it, or there's Bible's kind of on the, in some of the chairs underneath. Be careful, don't touch the person in front of you's rear end. Uh, but it's, you know, that would be, no. My wife's looking at me like, mm uh, uh, So 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. Um, I am part of a wonderful group of men that uh, meet on Friday morning. We are currently going through First John. We're not this far yet. Um, but man, this group, uh, what an encouragement every week uh, to be with like-minded men, um, running the race together, uh, trying to glean uh, new and refreshing things from God's word together. I really encourage, if you are not in a small group um, during the week doing this kind of thing together, you're missing out. You're missing out. And so part of where we're going today comes from that time together. First John is much about assurance. And so, uh, so a lot of my thoughts kind of were formulated in that group. Um, so we're going to start there. So look down at me, with me uh, at chapter 5, verse 13. The apostle John is writing this. It's a little letter uh, to the church. And he gives a purpose statement in verse 13 of why he wrote this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. In the Gospel of John, uh, he wrote that they might know where eternal life comes from. Okay, so that's, he wrote this gospel, this this. Uh, historical kind of treaties about Jesus and what he's done. And he wrote that, and there's a purpose statement in the Gospel of John that says that he wrote it that they may know where that comes from. Obviously we know Jesus, yeah. But he wrote this letter that even the believers might know that they have eternal life. The Apostle John wrote this letter that they might be reassured of their salvation, or have assurance of their salvation. So, what type of person needs reassurance? <laughs> um, my daughter, I asked her to, I asked her for permission to share this story, okay, so I'm not going to tell you which one, um, but my daughter, play, one, they both play soccer, one of them has a pretty decent skill set for the goalie position. She's aggressive, uh, you know, agile. Um, likes typically likes the position, um, and so I'm the coach of the team. And if I have my choice, she's going in goal. All right, she's our best goalie that we have. There's one problem. She doesn't want to be there. I Emmy, mean, oh. Don't tell her. <laughs> I told her I wouldn't say the name. We, we, we get ready to start the game. I'd like to put you in goal. What do you think? Uh, second, second quarter. I'll play the second quarter. There's quarters in little kids' soccer. OK, second quarter. Amy, I'd like to put you. Uh, no. OK, someone else get in there. You know. So this goes on and on. And afterwards, I ask her, what's going on? What's going on? Why, why don't you want to play goalie? She's afraid she's going to let a ball go in. The other kids definitely let balls go in. <laughs> but she's afraid that she's going to let a ball in. She needs to be reassured that this is what the coach desires. This is what the coach desires. And if she doesn't have that assurance, that peace, that, that reassurance, she might never be able to play the, the position with any kind of Aggressiveness or peace. She's gonna play scared, right? It's her, her her anxiousness about the position is gonna cause her to outward results. It's gonna change the way she plays without any peace when she doesn't have peace about it. The person who needs assurance lacks a quiet and peaceful heart. There's anxiousness within. And with lives full of uncertainties, amen, what could be a more important topic these days for us? So here's a small, a real quick small aside, then we're going to pray and then we're going to jump in. I imagine, as I even mentioned anxiousness, I imagine for many of you in this room, maybe one or two of you in each row, the word anxiety is kind of glowing bright right now. All right. The word anxiety is electric right now. Many of you maybe have been given a diagnosis of being having some kind of general anxiety or social anxiety or whatever anxiety. And if we describe peace as sitting down on the inside, that's what one of my friends said. That's a good definition, right? Peace is sitting down on the inside then anxiety is like a hamster running in a wheel. I have a, a little demonstration. Watch this. Ready? Uh, oh! <laughs> if you kept playing it, he, the hamster gets back on the wheel. Like, watch. Yeah, he gets right back on. It's bad, all right? So you can see, right, peace? Okay, let's look at me, please. <laughs> Turn the hamster off. Oh, you guys are fun. If we imagine peace as sitting down on the inside, huh, and anxiety is running on the wheel, the wheel throwing you around, right? We, we don't have to think very hard to uh, the, to experience those feelings inside. Amen? Amen. It's the, the word anxiety is rampant. And we could say so much this morning about the word as a a diagnostic label. We could say something about the prevalence of it related to social media. Like there's a study that just came out in August 2021, just a few months ago from MIT, MIT, smart people usually there. And it goes through and watch it and they go through every university as Facebook rolled out in 2004 and 2005, it watches as Facebook was added to a university what the mental health resources uh, were like. And there's a direct proportion to the amount of mental health resources being used and Facebook getting rolled out of a university. West Virginia University, January of 2005. I remember because I was on there using my email. Finally! Came to West Virginia. Um, and so, the, the, go check this study. Read it. It's amazing. So the prevalence of it related to social media, the church's response to anxiety, what the Lord says about it. We could go on and on and on and on this morning. We don't have time for all that. So here's what I am going to give you. If you are living under the burden of fear and dread that classifies anxiety, that's what, if you say you have fear or dread towards a circumstance, that's the symptom for anxiety. So I just diagnosed like everyone. If you live under that burden, then listen closely for the Spirit today, okay? I'm imagining he's going to do his own teaching that's far better than my teaching, and he's going to speak to your heart directly. And one more further, I'd love to hear about it afterwards. What does he tell you? All right, so that's my small aside. Let's go on. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, and Lord, use me to uh, just lift you up just lift up who you are and everything else about me remove it and lord that each of us would walk away encouraged today towards you closer towards you it's in your son's name we pray amen all right so first john the believers that john's writing to they need assurance because there were some people coming in and teaching things about Jesus that were false okay they weren't right about Jesus. I'm not going to get into all that, but the discrepancy between what the apostles taught, these believers, and what these new teachers were teaching the, the believers, was there was a discrepancy. There was a difference, and within that difference, there caused turmoil. Do I really know Jesus? These other people are saying something different about it, so do I really know Jesus? And they needed that reassurance that John is providing in the most loving and pastoral way he could. So, what are the contents of this letter that was written to provide this assurance? What did he write in order to provide that? And maybe another question, can we also, many, many years later, have some of that assurance wash over us? Can those words that he wrote to them be the same blessing of assurance to us? So we're going to dig around two verses in 1 John, and then we're going to go to the Old Testament and kind of look at how the peace of God and peace with God, the difference, how they have been in the works all along in God's plan for salvation. So go back to a few chapters to verse or chapter 2, I'm going to wait to hear your Bible stop flipping, because I want you to look at this. these words. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We, had a, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's so, right, we could, we could do a couple days here with all that's here, um, but we're not going to. For our purposes today, let's focus on these three descriptors of Jesus Christ in these verses. Let's see. I'm going, to, I'm going to point them out, and then we'll go through them. Jesus is an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And Jesus is the righteous. Advocacy is something that most of us are familiar with, yes? You, everyone's heard that word before, right? We think about something being advocated for, a, a, a good cause or a policy, so I, my mind immediately thinks to child advocacy, maybe, maybe you guys too, where there's a, a person or a team advocating for the best interest of a child, usually in a state system. What's best for this child? And then that person or team of people advocates on their behalf for that best interest. Another example might be a lawyer who advocates for another. I think this is Probably where John is think what John the the, the the picture John has in his mind is Jesus as a lawyer, an advocate on our behalf. We also see part of this equation is sin. That's what we saw in verse one. I'm writing to you things. That you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, so sin is part of this equation. We need this advocate. Sin is part of the equation. We fail to live up to this complete and perfect law of God. And we need one to stand between us and God the Father and someone to plead our case. Plead our case. So what exactly is Jesus advocating for on our behalf? That's the question that we asked ourselves, that we were asking in our our Friday morning men. What what exactly is Jesus saying as he advocates to the Father? What's his case? We'll come back to that. Because we've got to talk about propitiation for our sins. Now this, this isn't a word we use very often, right? How many people said they propitiated something this week? (laughs) Not very often. It's really a word that only lives in religious talk. But here John is saying that Jesus made himself a substitute. And he assumes the obligations of our punishment for that said sin. And by being the one who covered our deserved punishment for our sins, he frees us from the guilt that we have standing before God. And so propitiation, the word is, there, there's an there's a idea of favor or graciousness in the word. But we don't think that Jesus is being gracious to the Father, right? That doesn't make any sense. He's not gracious to our sins. That doesn't make any sense either. Propitiation really has this idea of covering, that taking the place of, standing standing instead of. So propitiation, a, it's a big word, it's a hard word, but just because it's big and hard doesn't mean we shy away from it. So it's part of Jesus' advocacy now we're seeing is has to relate to his propitiation. So how does he get away with such a move? You can't do this in the legal system nowadays, right? You can't go and stand in, in the courtroom and then stand and ask the judge, "Could I take his place, please?" That's not allowed. So how does Jesus get away with this? You can't do that now. To describe Jesus as righteous is to say that He is without sin. Righteous, I think it gets a bad, the word gets a bad rap nowadays, I think. We don't like to throw it around because we think like holier than thou. Or we think like self-righteous. Yeah, you put self in front of it it is, I wouldn't throw it around either. But righteous in of itself is a good thing because it means like being in right standing, feeling like there's nothing between you and another. There's nothing that is coming between you and another. That's a good thing. So Jesus is righteous. He's without sin. He's completely right before the law of God. So he can get away with it because he's qualified to stand as the substitute because though he was man and tempted in every way that man was, he was also perfectly obedient and without sin. He doesn't have any guilt in him that would disqualify him from absorbing the guilt of another. I can't raise my hand and take someone's place because I might have something against me. That actually makes me deserving of that punishment. But Jesus can do that. He can make that jump because there's nothing that stands between him and God. So back to what exactly is Jesus advocating for on our behalf? I'm going to just tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what it's not, okay? I'm going to start with the good, and then when I say next, is not good, Okay? Jesus is advocating to the Father that judgment is due for our sins. There is a judgment that is due for our sins. Many of you guys know this. Every single, you know, sins we think of as like unique things, like I sinned because I lied to her, or I sinned because I thought about these uh, lustful things. Like sin, we think about specific things, but Ex- broaden your example of sin, your your definition of sin to include that every single way we distort the image of God. We've been given, we've been created in the image of God. Now every single way we go through our lives distorting that image of God, changing what He looks like, is sin. And so all of that sin, all of that distortion, is due has a due penalty. The rightful claim, though, has been rightfully played, paid. Sorry, The rightful claim has been rightfully paid. Jesus is advocating that, yes, there is. He is not innocent. Me. You. He is not innocent. He deserves punishment. Here is the, the exacting punishment that he deserves. Separation from me forever. Death, physical death, spiritual death, separation from me forever. He deserves that. And Jesus is advocating to the Father, yes, he does deserve that. But I have a receipt here that says that he, I took his place. The price, you think about like a car accident. Like you get in a car accident and you cause damages. So now there's a claim on you. You owe something because of those damages. And then Jesus comes, comes along and pays that claim. So now there's no more claim against you. It's been paid. So that's what Jesus is advocating to the father to. The father's saying he deserves judgment. Jesus isn't saying, yeah, but just be easy. He's new to this thing. He's not advocating leniency. He's saying, you're right, he does, but that claim has been paid by me. I stood in his place and took that penalty. This, you know, many, I'm not, again, remember, remember from the beginning, I warned you, I'm not going to tell you much new things. But one layer deeper than that is, I di- I didn't. Thought th- I didn't think about this part until I started studying this. One layer deeper is, It would actually be against God's character to demand payment from you for those of you who are in Christ. He has already accepted the debt payment. He cannot demand payment twice. That's against his righteousness, that's against his justice. He's a good judge, and a good judge doesn't demand you pay even though it's already been paid. He doesn't demand payment twice. There's this great hymn that I was uh, that I found. I tried to get Kyle to learn it, but he didn't want to do it. Just kidding. He was willing, but it's it's really old. A lot of old language. Uh, but in it, it's called. It's, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. You guys have to look it up on your own. From whence this fear and unbelief? From whence this fear and unbelief? Really old hymn. And in it has this line. The whole, the whole hymn is really about this concept of God cannot, uh, It's a, I'll just tell you, payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding Savior's hand, and then again at mine. He can't do that. And that, we can see that as we think about advocacy. What is exactly Jesus saying to the Father as he advocates on our behalf? We can, it, it begins to, to stir a little bit of peace in us. There's no, like I said, he's not advocating leniency. We might think of a good law drama. You guys like law dramas? Anyone like law dramas? I don't because I don't understand anything they're saying. But we might think of a good law drama and Jesus the lawyer is up there saying like defending our case like he didn't really mean to do that one thing. He's an upstanding citizen. Look at his history. He does most good things. Sometimes he even he even uh uh he even volunteers at the animal shelter. Check that out, Lord. Like it's not like this this like begging for just be easy on him. Lower, lower the, lower the, let me, let's think about a plea deal. Let's lower the standard. Let's lower the penalty. Or, you know, much like in my household, Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't holding back the Father before he explodes. Right? Like, sometimes I get the look from Carrie, like, settle down. Easy because I'm about to explode, and she's advocating, easy, take it easy, you're going to go too far here. That's not what's happening up here with Jesus advocating to the Father. The advocacy of Jesus is not a case of leniency, because if it was, it would destroy assurance. If the case, if, if Jesus was advocating for God the Father to be lenient with us, it would destroy our assurance because we know tomorrow I might, make, I might break him. Or Jesus, just, just let him have it. God, just let him have it. He did it again. The advocacy of Jesus is the receipt of a paid claim being presented. Jesus is saying to the Father, here's the receipt. That has been paid for already. And so you, you have no claim on him anymore. Now, there's much more to that. We can't. I can't parse it all out, okay? So, propitiation, big word. Doesn't mean we should shy away from it. It means we should settle there until God illuminates it in our hearts. Remember, assurance was what the Apostle John was going for. And so as we talk about the contents of this letter... Are, try, are for the purpose of reassuring. And he talks about propitiation as a means of assurance. That is where he is basing his assurance. God, John knows if they understood their righteous standing before God, the effect of that righteousness, that righteousness would produce peace. Peace in their hearts. Peace and quietness and everlasting assurance would be expected and be found in the way and the work of righteousness. That is the robed righteousness of God bestowed upon us. He's trying to nail it down. John is trying to nail it down for them. How do you know that you have eternal life? How can you be assured? How can you have peace that you are right with God? You can know that because of the propitiations of your sins by Jesus, who bought you peace with God. Jesus bought each of us peace with God. You have a position before God. You stand before him at peace with him. For those of you that are brothers and sisters of the Lord, your position is no longer enmity with God, being an enemy of God. That's not your position anymore. Because of what Jesus did, for those of you who accepted his salvation, you are now a son or daughter and have an inheritance in God. Enemy, son or daughter. Your position has changed. Now I can hear some of you thinking, you guys are loud with your thinking, I have that type of peace with God. I know that's my position with God. I know these things that you're saying. I don't deserve it. I know that. I embrace it, though. Why don't I feel the peace of God, though? See, peace with God and peace, the peace of God, different things. They're related, but they're different. I'm with you there. I don't feel the peace of God all the time either. Greg doesn't feel the peace of God all the time either. I'm willing to say if you looked around to one person that's directly next to you and asked him, do you feel the peace of God all the time? They would say? They would say? They would say? No. No. I was waiting until all of you said it. (laughs) Just to make sure that you know that you can be a believer, you can walk with the Lord and have peace with God, but not experience the peace of God. That's possible. John's little letter, letter though, is not a one-off spotlight on God's desire for us to experience rest, assurance, peace. It's all throughout the scripture. Look, from the wilderness wanderings to the, to the words of Jesus himself. In Exodus thirty-three fourteen, 14, it says, and he said, this is God talking, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. They're wandering through the wilderness and God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 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 Present, his presence and rest related. Matthew 11:28. 28. There's these little books around gentle and lowly. They're all about this one verse, I guess. Come to me. This is Jesus talking. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30. And let's look at this Old Testament example. Isaiah is kind of in the middle, like go to the middle of your Bible and then kind of turn to the right a little bit. That's really descriptive, right? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 30. We're going to end in chapter 32. Um, Let's look at Isaiah chapter 30. And let's look at this small account to continue to help us refine this thinking. Isaiah chapter 30. I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing here. I'm hoping hope you can, you're okay with that. You can go back and check my homework. Um, we're going to enter into these chapters listening to this prophet Isaiah and his words. His words right now He's talking about warnings and promises. He's talking to the nation of Israel, specifically the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay? The kingdom's been divided at this point, and he's specifically talking to Judah, even more specifically, three different kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So, I'm going to set the scene for you. Isaiah is talking to these kings. The Assyrian Empire. You guys have heard this term, Assyrian Empire? All right. It preceded the Babylonian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is pressing down on the nation of Israel. John, you can take that off. It's going to be confusing for them. um, Because I'm already confused. The Lord, the, the Assyrian Empire is pressing down. It's spreading and it's pressing down on the nation of Israel, all right? That's what's going on here. The Lord has already called the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations. The way that they would be a light is by trusting the Lord for their security and prosperity. That's how they would be a light to the nation around, to the nations around them. That as they did that, the nations would see there's something different about this people and that people, the nations, would come to know the God that created them through that witness. They've been called to that already. But the kings of Judah would instead, with that Assyrian empire pressing down, form ali- alliances with neighboring nations. Can we guess one of those nations? Egypt. They would go to Egypt and send gifts, and, and envoys, and beg for their help to feel secure. You come, you come protect us, Egypt. So Isaiah's ministry, Isaiah the prophet, his ministry is to warn them of this, not good, and much more, and the Holy Spirit's also using Isaiah to kind of give some promises of how the Lord's going to continue to be faithful to his promises. Both in the near future, like what's going on currently in in that time, and he's going to step out and and look to the far future about how the Lord's going to do this. So look look in chapter 30, verse 15. Look down. For thus says the Lord God... The Holy One of Israel. In returning in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. So, we can clearly see that God is, through Isaiah, telling them that you could have had strength to overcome this people. You could have had strength, and that strength would have been housed in returning to me, resting in me, and having a quietness and trust in me. But you were unwilling. And I think right at the, off the bat, we can be like, man, that nation of Israel, they stink at this thing. Have they ever gotten it right? But are we terribly surprised at this unbelief? Are we not sympathetic to the situation at all? Are we too hardened to see what it might be like to have the Assyrian Empire bearing down on your nation? You've heard stories of the way they siege cities. It's violent. It's not pretty. You don't have a police force, a national guard, to protect you. You don't have global communication that the other nations might come to your rescue just because it's not right what's happening. None of that. If you live on the outskirts of town, there's no one to protect you except you. So do we really move that quickly to, man, they never get it right. Man, they never trust the Lord. I think if family, friends, loved ones were on the war path of a violent nation looking to overtake us, our faith might get a little fidgety. Would we just rest in the Lord? He'll get us. Like, we give up our trust in the Lord for much less than that. Wouldn't you agree? Last week, was there anything that shook your faith in the Lord? There was for me, All right. So let's let's right from the outset not get on like the they never get it right train. Let's see what the Lord says here. Our lives. Our lives daily bring us on the oncoming warpath of enemies. Our enemies aren't the Assyrian Empire. Agreed. Is anyone worried about the Assyrian Empire right now? Okay, so we know that, okay, God is talking about enemies, but we have a different enemy or enemies. What's the goal of these enemies? I think these enemies are battling for fear, discouragement. Uh, Pastor Lloyd was sharing with the men yesterday. Maybe, Maybe Satan's favorite tool is discouragement. All right. Tra- Trademark Lloyd Pulley. I just stole that. What else? Condemnation. Right. The enemies aren't. You know, it's not the Assyrian Empire bearing down in a in a physical security s- sense. It's it's fear, discouragement, condemnation. These things rob peace. They rob peace right away. You have fear. You don't have peace. You have discouragement, you don't have peace. You have condemnation, definitely no peace there. These things rob peace. And just like the nation of Israel, we can try to tame these things, tame our fears, by trying to find security in oppressive places. Think about who the nation was going to for help. The people that enslaved them. The people that put them to, to toil and work to build their empire. That's who they're going to, to find security. So Isaiah is going to continue to be God's messenger to the, of, to, to the nation of Judah. Sorry, And he's going to go tell them that, okay, I know that you're doing this, but I'm still going to graciously wait for you to turn back from, to me. Look in uh, verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. He's gonna, Isaiah's going to keep talking in, in chapter 31. He's going to say, You know what? Egypt is going to get theirs for trying to help you. Assyria. I'm going to take care of Assyria. I'm going I'm to see you through that. He's going to keep, so there's warnings and there's promises in Isaiah. But starting in chapter 32, flip over to chapter 32. Starting in chapter th- 32, Isaiah is going to speak about a coming king that will reign in righteousness. And all of a sudden we have these images of a kingdom that's far different than the one we're reading about right now in Isaiah. It says if the Holy Spirit offers Isaiah a telescope into the future. He's talking about these things, these things that are here and now, and the Holy Spirit offers this telescope that Isaiah can see into the future. And in the midst of them being helpless, their helplessness as a city that's about to be besieged, so frantic and faithless that it's begging Egypt for help, The Lord, through Isaiah, is offering hope. Helplessness and hopelessness are not mutual things. Just because you are helpless doesn't mean you are hopeless. And God is offering hope to the nation of Israel. I think to us that would read it this far after, that helplessness is not hopelessness. Look in Isaiah chapter... So Isaiah chapter... 32 Verse 1 It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Skip down to verse 15. When does this happen? Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And this is where my mind has been for the past week. The effect of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. As we read that, and we know the Spirit has been poured out. Joel talked about that. Acts, we talked about that in Acts. We know the Spirit has been poured out. Many of you guys, your life testifies to the Spirit dwelling within you. The Spirit of God dwelling within you. And we hear this promise that, when the spirit is poured out, the effect of righteousness will be peace. The mechanism of peace will be righteousness. And so I imagine you might be feeling the peace of God a little bit more. It's, that's a, I think that's a grace of gathering with the saints, um, being in communion together, uh, sitting in his word together, worshiping together, praying together. I think every Sunday we might walk away feeling like a peace of God a little bit more than the rest of the week. But tomorrow, the peace of God might be a little bit more fleeting. So, with that said, take inventory of the enemies of your soul. They come from within the flesh. They come from without the world and Satan. In my experience, these enemies that want to bring us to fear, bring us to condemnation, bring us to discouragement, in my experience, these enemies aren't particularly scared of clever planning like you can trick them from being in your life. If I just get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord, I won't deal with these enemies at all. If I go to church, I, I won't deal with the enemies of my soul at all. Like There's no like clever planning that we can do to avoid these enemies. There's no right orthodoxy. Though orthodoxy is good right, thinking about the scripture, right, thinking about who God is, is good. Even that doesn't cause us to not have to deal with the enemies of our soul, right? Right, so what is it? Well, I think prayer seems to be essential. I think somewhere Jesus talked about praying and gave an example of prayer, and in that had some discussion about spiritual warfare. So I think prayer is essential. How are you growing? How are you growing in wisdom? This would be a good conversation for after. How are you growing in wisdom as it relates to spiritual warfare? The enemies of your soul? How are you growing in wisdom? One way that I've been, I feel like the Lord's been growing me, is helping me to see that they're not like three distinct channels of, of avenues of discouragement and fear right they're not enemies of each other they work quite well together and so the world and the things of the world sound really good to my flesh you see the 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 enemy can can tell whisper a lie to me that my flesh desires and is motivated towards they don't they're not like you just have to have three shields up against these three things. They work together. And that's helped me to see how I'm being brought into fear, brought into discouragement. So the peace of God, it might be a little fleeting for you tomorrow. My encouragement to you, consider the enemies of your soul and how the Lord wants to grow you in understanding how to fight those enemies. But today, the rest of today, tomorrow, the day after, for you sitting here that has a relationship with the Lord that's based on the blood of Jesus Christ, for you, brother or sister in Christ, so that's not everyone in this room, but for you, The peace that you have with God will not be fleeting. Hear that. You, the peace of God might be fleeting tomorrow. But today, tomorrow, the rest of your life, the peace that you have with God will not be fleeting. You can't make it be fleeting. No enemy can make it be fleeting. It is done. It is housed in the righteousness that you have because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's where it's housed in. So nothing can touch that. The righteousness that comes with the full weight of the blood of Jesus and the testimony of the Holy Spirit, as we see in Ephesians, that's where your peace with God is. So nothing, nothing, one more time, nothing can take away your peace with God. Let's turn to Psalm 112 as we finish. Psalm 112. It's short, but I am only going to read verses 6 and 7. I'm going to kind of read my own version here. Um, For the righteous. So, this is this psalm, these words are specifically for the righteous. Let's remember our definition of righteous. Those, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it, so li, don't look up there, listen to my words. Those who know their imperfections. Do you guys know your imperfections? Those who trust Jesus instead of their own righteousness and so share in his righteousness and want to follow him. For that person they will never be moved they will be remembered forever that person this if if you don't want this to be characterized of you let's talk afterwards but i imagine every single one of us even if we don't even know the lord would want this to be characterized of us he is not afraid of bad news his heart is firm or steady Trusting in the Lord. You don't know what bad news is coming tomorrow. Think about a man that I really admire who got a, a diagnosis for a malignant tumor, wasn't going to be treatable, terminal. Um, and his, when he got that, his words were Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Now, everything has changed. Right? There's experimental treatments to be thought about. There's a a funeral to be planned. There's a grave to be plotted. Like, everything's changed. There's people that need comfort. But in his mind, nothing has changed. No bad news could move the one that sits in righteousness. Back to... Verse 30, chapter 32, verse 17, the effect of righteousness is peace, a steady heart, trusting in the Lord. I think when we sit kind of in the all of propitiation, that big word, when we sit in the all of that and let it kind of wash over us, we're reminded about the peace that we have with God, but I think it leads to a piece of God in our lives. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to ask you guys to, before they, you know, Kyle, just play the guitar a little bit lightly, but just take a moment and consider the anxieties of your day. Maybe you have some today, but you know what I mean. What's going on in your life that's robbing peace? What's going on? What enemy, you know, is against the peace that you have? Just sit quietly. Consider that What the Lord. Ask him to show you. Where that lives, let's do that now. Lord, you seem to give two great promises. To those of us, those of your children that are anxious, that lack peace. You promise you're going to be near to us. That just knowing that you're near would be comfort. You're not far. You give a, a promise that you'll give us everything we need for today. That tomorrow it's going to have its troubles and the day after and the day after. But you give your children everything that they need for today. So Lord, Write these promises on our heart. Let us hear these promises from your spirit as we move through our week this week. You're so good to us. In your sons' name, we pray. Amen.